0: Today is Tuesday, January 24th. The title for our devotional is Betrayal at the Table. This week we're exploring the theme of betrayal in the Last Supper text of Luke 22. Jesus is sharing this intimate, meaningful, celebratory meal with his disciples, some of his closest friends. Yet the cloud of betrayal hangs over the entire scene and the biblical authors don't shy away from it. Luke started this section by informing us that Judas has already taken a bribe and is looking for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to the scribes and the teachers of the law. Now it comes up again during the meal, Luke 22 verses 21 to 23. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes that it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Jesus here calls attention to this seemingly unprompted. He says, the hand of him who betrays me is on, is with me on the table. This statement implies the deep trust of his circle of 12 disciples. He says he's with me at the table. Only 12 of Jesus' followers were privileged to have this meal with him and to share this time with him. Judas was at the table with him. He was a close, devoted follower. The closeness makes the betrayal all the more striking. His next statement in verse 22 reassures the disciples that this is all according to plan, even if it seems like terrible news. Yesterday we saw that Satan entered Judas. So in one sense, this is Satan's work and his attempt to thwart the plan of God. Yet in the midst of his betrayal, God is still sovereign. All is not lost, even though it will seem that way to his disciples in the next 48 hours. Jesus reminds them that the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. God's will has been set, and Jesus is committed to it. Yet, Judas also bears responsibility, as the second half of verse 22 indicates, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. This, of course, gets us to the very complex question of spiritual influence, God's sovereignty, and human freedom. Suffice it to say, the exact nature of how these things work together is beyond our ability to comprehend. God has not revealed that to us, so we're forced to leave it as a mystery to some degree. This Acts 4 text gets at the difficulty well. In Acts 4 27 to 28, we read, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So, we're left with the question of who was it who had Jesus crucified? Was it Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, Judas, Jesus' own will and decisions? Or was it Satan who was working through Judas, as the text suggests here? Or was it God and God's will? The answer to all of them is in some sense, yes. But the what we know from this text, again, is Jesus saying, For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. He knows that in spite of all of the other forces at work, God's plan is still sovereign and God will bring about his will to fruition. And so we must hold together all of these intentions. Satan influences Judas, yet Judas still holds personal responsibility. And yet this was all according to God's will. If you spend too much time thinking about this, it'll make your head hurt. So we just have to hold all of these intentions. Verse 23 indicates the disciples were unsure at this point who it is who would betray Jesus. Judas had covered his tracks well, apparently, and had kept a pretty good secret. I wonder if anyone had guessed right that it was Judas in their quick conversation here. Perhaps they had their I told you so moment later on. Perhaps they didn't care about it after everything went down. John's gospel indicates that Peter told John to ask Jesus who it was. So John does, and Jesus confirms, by dipping his his bread into the cup with Judas, that it was indeed him. That seems to have been a private conversation, though. It's interesting that Jesus knows Judas is going to betray him, yet he does nothing to prevent the arrest. If this were a movie, we would suspect that Jesus would have secretly changed his plans to catch Judas in his betrayal. He could have told Judas he was going to the Garden of Gethsemane, as he often did, then change his plan and go someplace else. But send one of the disciples to see if he did bring them out there to arrest him and they came out to arrest him, he's then nowhere to be found, and the whole plot is thwarted. Better yet, he could have had Peter put on one of those Mission Impossible face mask things and make everything everyone else think that Peter is Jesus. That's too far right, but it sounds fun to me. Back to the point, Jesus knew this betrayal was coming and seemingly did nothing to prevent it. It seems to me that he's so determined to do the will of God at whatever cost to himself. So back to the story. The question of who it could be eventually drives the disciples into an argument about who is the greatest. Perhaps they're just trying to rule out potential betrayers by starting at the top and seeing who is the greatest, or perhaps the conversation just kind of derailed. Jesus puts a quick stop to this by teaching the true nature of leadership in the kingdom of God. This is our topic for next week, so we'll kick that can down the road. For our time today, let's simply note that Jesus was betrayed by someone at the table with him. Judas was among the 12, and the one of the closest people to Jesus. For reflection time today, betrayal from those close to us always hurts worse. Close relational intimacy is risky. It inevitably leaves us vulnerable to hurt. That's why uh, going through a divorce with a spouse hurts way more than simply losing contact with a high school friend from long ago. But the way of Jesus still calls us to take the risk to invest closely around the table with another. Of course, those we allow into those spaces need to be trustworthy, but for some, that bar of trustworthiness has become an impossible standard for anyone to reach. Reflect on whether or not past church hurts are keeping you from investing in the lives of others in the church. Is fear of being hurt preventing you from truly letting people know you? Spend time in prayer for Jesus to heal those wounds. Feel free to reach out to me, I'd love to hear your story. Or reach out to a counselor, and allow them to walk with you through those experiences.